Hey guys, welcome back to Young and Naive with Alex Morris. Uh, I'm Alex Morris. Um, very excited for this episode. It's been a long time coming. I recorded this episode probably late April, early May. Uh, as you can tell by we talk about uh, the last episode of Crashing, season one premiering. So it's whenever that was. Um, this is with Oren Brimmer. Uh, Oren Brimmer is the longtime uh, writing and production partner of Pete Holmes. I'm a big fan of both of them. And uh, Oren was very kind to do this episode with me uh, over Skype. Um, the reason that this episode has been so long coming is because I've had some technical issues. Um, Oren actually recorded the audio from his side uh, as well, um, but that was part of the technical issue on my end. So uh, he did attempt to make it sound a lot better than it actually ends up sounding, so I'm very sorry about that. Um, but yeah, uh, loved this episode, love Oren. He uh, had me actually um, visit the set of Crashing Season 2 uh, shortly after this. He genuinely is one of the most lovely people uh, that I've met in the quote-unquote industry. Um, so really, really eternally grateful to him. And uh, I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Thank you so much, guys. That was an excellent intro. The Ottoman is decorative, so what was the point of this? Don't forget, I got it. Well, I've been in show business now 45 seconds, which is the nicest reception I ever had. Like, you know, started flirting already. I'm not. I'm such a ridiculous new white bread cracker. Yeah, I can't go in there by myself and buy a croissant, can I? She'll think I'm weird. I'm a mod. I'm a mod for hip-hop. Ooh, how witty. Get this guy on Hollywood squares. It looks like it was made by a two-year-old monkey on a farm. Uh, yeah, so it's my third visit in a few months, and it's been super fun. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So, Fontana, I'm about to head out there for Crashing Season 2. Amazing. How's that going? It's going great. We're, uh, we're writing. Amazing. Um, and, yeah, we're just breaking stories, trying to figure out what's what's the best way to go for Season 2, and it's, it's flowing nicely. That's so great. So, was there no... Yeah. Uh, is there no party in the evening this evening, you know, for the, you know, for the big end episode? You know, it's weird because we've, you know, it's, it's coming out and for the viewing audience, this is the end of it, but we are, you know, we're already started on the next one. Yeah. So for, for us, uh, especially Pete, myself and our showrunner Judah, we've seen episode eight, uh, the finale over a hundred times you know so <laughs> for sure I'm, I'm watching it tonight uh just for for fun and after some distance from it because it's been a while since we've watched the full episode yeah but for me mentally the you know I, I think we're all just so concentrated on season two that the party uh we, we definitely had a we had our premiere party which is super fun but i think right now there's no we don't need to have the finale party because we're grinding on season two and that's more exciting right now that is so great um yeah. so well i mean first of all i adore season one so far like oh, I, thanks oh i love it so much um it was one of those things if i'm honest that like i so badly wanted it to be amazing because i had just such high <laughs> hopes for it so i was so both my friend i was so glad that it was great i was so glad yeah. but um so what has been your favorite episode, would you say, of season one? Would it have to be the one that you wrote? Um, the second episode? I don't... I know. I don't... I'm not going to play favorites in that way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's see. I'd say... It's a tie. I love episode four. 
Okay. The, bar- the barking episode. Great. Because it shows a world of stand-up comedy that we we haven't seen before. Yeah. Like, in Louie and Seinfeld, you already see the person who's at the top of their game, but you don't see the grind and the stupid shit that Louie and Seinfeld had to do to get to those uh, that position. Oh, for sure. And so showing that side of, of stand-up in showing... Pete barking at strangers for five minutes of stage time at the end of the night is a uh, is a, one of the secrets of comedy that we like to tell. And our hope with this show is to tell a lot of these secrets of comedy. Like everyone sees them when they've already hit TV and doing doing specials, but no one knows about like the true grind you have to go through in order to get to that place. That's amazing. Uh, um, and then that and, or what else? What was the other one? Oh, the episode six, the Sarah Silverman episode. Because, oh, like, so great. So great. It was a joyful episode. Pete doesn't get kicked in the balls a million times like every other episode. <laughs> That's true. And, you know, Sarah, you know, for as long as I remember, Sarah's been one of my, like, comedy heroes. Like, when I was first starting to get into comedy just as a fan, she was one of the people I would pay attention to and listen to and, and be so excited to see whenever I was fortunate enough to see her in L.A. And so um, working with her, you know, in a small capacity was you know was amazing so um just to be able to walk up to her and like pitch her a joke on set was just like oh a dream for sure true yeah so, so i say, say those two and this next one coming up is great as well oh that's so good this, i hope you really enjoy it because it's sort of a sort of bringing a lot of ideas of the whole season together oh okay good because yeah. that is what i was wondering is how much of you were prepping for um in case with just any first season of any show, were you trying to wrap up lots of loose ends and trying to make it its own show, like its own whole show by the end of season one, just in case it wasn't picked up for season two? Um, I don't know. You know, that's that would be more of a question for Judd. Judd sort of had, Judd and Pete really had the bird's eye perspective okay. on the whole season um i think where we go all i can say is where we do go with episode eight i we hope is unexpected and opens the door to a really cool new season where you don't expect it to go oh um, okay. it was it was really fun to sort of play just as you write anything i think you have to play with the expectation of the audience and as, as much as you can surprise them and have fun with those expectations i think you can you can have some success in storytelling and i think We'll see what happens tonight when the <laughs> reviews come out, but we think we did a pretty good job of it. I can't wait. And so what I was wondering mainly with the writing process of the show is when you or and write anything, it inherently is a little bit personal of just how you interpret things and how you go to write characters or whatever. Anything must come from you a little bit personally so how does it work when a lot of the plot and everything like that is so inherently personal to pete's life so how does that interact with how you write personally to writing for such a solid voice of pete early days yeah well i've been working with pete for i think nine years now wow um he and i met actually i just got a facebook notification that he and I have been friends on Facebook for nine years so there's a possibility that we've been friends even longer than what social media dictates but I'm gonna trust Facebook on this (laughs) Uh, 
But yeah, I think, you know, the, the story is very personal to Pete and it all comes in the prep. You know, we, we sit in rooms together and Pete tells us stories about his life and we hash it into stories. And, but Pete is there every step of the way to help guide it in, as to his personal experience. And we do our best effort at matching that experience or matching what we think is Pete's voice. Yeah. Uh, I've been writing with Pete as one of my main actors for, you know, probably eight of the nine years we've been friends. So wow. I know Pete's voice pretty well and his just joke style and cadence and, and his own experiences. I was friends with him. The first sketch he and I ever did together he was still wearing his wedding ring. No, and, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, so that was the only the first sketch we did, and after, after that, his ring was never on. But Ooh. he was still clinging onto his wedding ring uh, when we did our first sketch. So I was there with him as he was dealing with all the... I was there right after he dealt with all the immediate backlash of his divorce, but I was around for when you know he was dealing with all of the aftershocks of, oh, of like what it's like to be single for the first time in your adult life. Oh, well, so, so you really do have that view on it entirely at the time. It was real no guessing for writing the episodes. Yeah, I mean, you know, we this isn't a one-to-one of Pete's life either. Yeah. So we are taking liberties and having fun with the story. This is, It's just like loosely based off of his life and just inspired by his life. So, you know, we got to have fun with the liberties and, you know, the, the fun parallel reality of this is Pete, but it's not Pete because yeah. we're in the present, but Pete is playing sort of like a regressed version of himself so there's a lot of fun to be had with just in the reality of the show where we can take licenses and we can diverge from pete's own experience a bit why would you say that you work so well with pete pete and i uh i think the way that he and i both like to put it is that we have the same comedic sensibility but with entirely different skill sets okay he so like i I'm much more type A. I'm more of the organizer. I've always been like the producer, director, editor, along with co-writer of stuff we've done together. Yeah. And I sort of am the get shit done guy. And then Pete is just this fountain of comedy and jokes and, and um, something, you know, a good, a good example of this would be, you know, when we were doing the Batman sketches yeah. uh, that we did for College Humor. Amazing. He would he would write a ten page script, and then I would whittle it down to a tight tight five page script. I, you know, he just gives me all the ammunition, and I, I just figure out where I want to put all the jokes, and I cut the stuff that's unnecessary. I'm more of the structure story person. Okay. When it when, when it came to those sketches, I mean, now I think we're both very good at knowing each other, and we sort of fill each other out. But in terms of like the skill sets of like production and editing and directing, that's where I come in. He's just such a good performer and joke writer that. He, he sort of comes in there when I'm more of a structure guy. Okay. See, but then that makes so much sense. But then you, of course, obviously work so well with people like Josh Rubin and stuff on the short film. Oh, so thank you. Would, <laughs> so would you say that, um, that I guess working uh, with Pete and making the amount that you have has just, I guess, taught you, I guess, how to just work with any person in comedy would you say like, well I guess I mean I, I definitely come at directing from an actor not an actor standpoint but from a person who relies on my talent to be really funny okay in, in the fact that I don't I would never ha- ask an actor to stick to a script 
if it didn't make sense for them to say it. You know, I, I like it's a more organic way of going about it. And Josh Rubin and Pete are so funny naturally that a lot of what you see on screen, I'd say, you know, there's a a nice chunk of it that was improvised when we were there with cameras on set rather than trying to make it to the letter um, uh, as it was scripted out. Okay. You know, and, you know, it's just an experience thing. I'm not a film school guy. I've, I've taught myself everything through experience. And I think just the more you do it and the more you realize that you need to prepare yourself to a point and then after that point you have to just trust that you'll find it when you're on set and that relaxation that you need to sort of attain when you're on set where you're like, even if it's the thing you wrote isn't working, you know you can find, you you know you can make the scene work somehow when you're there on the day. Yeah. And that, that I think it just takes time to get to the point where you feel that way. And was that then a nice jump point from working mainly in sketch to then the short film to then working on the show? Was that like a very good transition or was it kind of hard jumping from one to the other? Well, I don't know. I think the short film was just, you know, and as you, I mean, the short film see you around, you can definitely see elements of sketch in it. Like all the Pete Holmes therapy scenes are direct rips from all everything else that I've done with Pete, where it's, you know, a two person scene where Pete is playing usually a, a person of authority messing with someone. Yeah. So, you know, I think if I was to do this, I, I don't think I would change how I did the short, but I think my next short, I want to sort of try to make it more filmic and less based in sketch, where okay. I don't need this sort of like runner of this heightened premise in order to make something really funny and try to do keep it within a world. Because those therapy scenes feel like a totally different world than everything else. Okay. Uh, I like the hybrid of it, but... I feel like on my first short film, I definitely leaned on the sort of my sketch background to, to give it at least, at least I knew those sketch, those therapy scenes were going to be funny. Yeah. yeah. The other stuff was more of like, I don't know, let's figure out how this all works. Um, yeah. Well, I don't think that that altered it anything in my mind because I mean, I adored the film so much. Like I watched it so many times when it was first released like i think what a a year ago maybe yeah but it's um, basically been a year like it also i found it the most kind of it was like a very touching short film it almost had in my mind a little bit of eternal sunshine of like a it was in some bits almost i found a little bit hard to watch of like it felt very real so, oh, it is as real as it gets. <laughs> so where it did is. it come from? What was the origins of that? Well, Eternal Sunshine is a good call because that's basically what I was trying to reference the entire time. Okay. I was trying to tell a simple breaking up story through a surreal you know, device, yeah. which I think Eternal Sunshine is literally, I, I think it's my favorite movie oh, that I can perfect. watch a hundred yeah. times in a row. And it's the simplest love story told in the craziest way, which I, I really enjoy. Um, oh, it came from, the, the short came from uh, a breakup and one that took a very, very long time to get over. And it was a tumultuous end to the relationship. And I had the feeling that I think a lot of people who live in cities and everywhere sort of experience that there are people, places and things that remind you of that person and you can't really get away from them. You know, these like emotional landmines that you have all over the city. 
And I remember I was, where was I? I was on my skateboard in New York, skating past this deli on Avenue B, and uh, I think 12th Street. Okay. And I skated by it, and I was like, I can't go in that deli anymore. That is the her deli. That's the deli where I'd buy her this these honest tea blueberry iced teas and a bundle of flowers and i would give it to her every time uh because she lived nearby there and so i was like fuck every time i pass by that deli she's in it and so that that was sort of the the inspiration for it where i'm like oh there's so many places all around the city that remind me of this person and uh that you know i i wanted to explore that idea of just like how you know, once you live in a city long enough, it is just like, it's just laden with landmines. Um, but it was years and years after the breakup that I wrote it, and years and years later after that that I made it. And a fun story is that the girl it was based off of found it. Uh, oh, wow. She, yeah, she, let's see, how did it, I, I posted on Facebook, and we have mutual friends, and I think she found it. And I actually got a, a really nice, I guess, like, the big issue with the relationship is we never really found closure. Okay. And I got an email from her, and I and I respond to that email, and it actually I think finally gave us that closure. So many years after the events took place. That is and, so interesting because of the yeah. film. Oh wow. Yeah. So the film about how it was so hard to get over her was the impetus for the final like piece of closure that I think we needed to safely never talk to each other again in a positive way. I love that. That is so cool. But yeah. um, were you able to find the room for the improv kind of, I guess, casual way of filming uh, when you were filming more of, I think, I guess, the harder stuff in the film? So was there still that room? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we it was crazy. We did it. We shot for four days so little money with a 30 page script and you know with a very minimal crew yeah and beg beg borrowing and stealing everything <laughs> and but at the end of the day there's always room for improv i feel especially when you're working with such talented funny people and you know there were sandboxes to play in like there are certain moments that didn't lend themselves to improv that required a little bit more um to the script performance like the big reveal of the girlfriend in the first scene yeah that sort of had to come at a specific line to for me but yeah. then there were the moment the therapy scenes where we definitely you know every therapy scene you see there's another half of a scene that never made the cut that is just so gut-bustingly funny but it just would have slowed the story down too much okay. uh, for it so there was definitely areas that we we improvised in and a lot of it we figured out on the day as well we would rehearse it the day before we shot it and change the entire scene around because we realized oh this is a better way to tackle it is it hard because both crashing and the short film are filmed pretty on location in new york i mean especially with the show right now so much of it is filmed just like on the street the mm -hmm. How hard is it filming in New York? Well, there, it's two very different circumstances. One is a hyper-low-budget short film 
you know, actually, there's there's positives positives and negatives for each style. Okay. When it's just like a cameraman, a guy with a boom mic, and some actors on the street, you can sort of get away with whatever you want. Yeah. You can sort of just shoot a couple scenes like the walking at the deli scene. We just completely stole that. We just, you know, we we're on the New York street. There's nothing, you know, you can just sort of set up shop, find natural lighting and just shoot it. And, you know, within 30 minutes you have your scene. Amazing. But yeah. when you have, you know, a TV show budget, you know, on HBO, they've been great. And it affords you a little bit of relaxation when you're on location where you can, close down a street and hire extras to walk the exact same way every time you shoot something so you don't have major continuity errors but like everything you know we were shooting a lot especially in that barking episode we were shooting outside in the west village on a saturday night there is craziness there was there was a fight that took place in front of a pizzeria right by our set there's sirens there's people getting out of bars <laughs> like trying to get in the in the scene and you know we trust our amazing pa is to like sort of lock down the set and try to keep people away from it but it's it's sort of the chaos of new york but the fun of it is you can't really recreate it so shooting outside in new york while it can be tough at times gives you an aesthetic that you can you can't really recreate how is it that you actually started doing everything? So was it started, I mean, was it starting with College Humor stuff? When was the actual very first, like, work, you know, like, done for the, just anything? The first, of the these first, videos? well, the very first thing I ever did was a very terrible public access TV show where I went to school in Santa Barbara. Okay. And me and my friends just got together and made uh basically the worst parody of a late night show you can imagine <laughs> with no knowledge of how late night was worked and we didn't I, a good a good example of that is i did a fake monologue based off like based off of a johnny carson impression but <laughs> at that point i had never seen johnny carson i was doing dana carvey's impression of johnny oh carson. that is so funny so we were just but but what that taught me was just like you can you and a bunch of friends can get a camera and just make some stupid shit. Oh yeah. Um, so I guess the first thing I ever did is there was a site that went away and is now back again called superdeluxe.com. Okay. And I had been going to this comedy club called Rafifi. Oh yeah. In the East Village, where there was this amazing show called Invite Them Up, and I it became my my like comedy church. I would go there like four days four nights out of the week wow. and just like hang out and that's where i met pete i met pete oh i cool. was i would show stupid little sketch videos i did with my friends at stand-up shows to just get laughs on them and see how they worked before putting them online and then pete came up to me after one of the shows because he had a script for a video he wanted to shoot and then that's how we met and then that sort of launched everything oh that's and amazing then, yeah, but prior to that, I had done some freelance directing. Uh, oh, yeah. So by going to Rafifi, I would just meet comedians. Comedians wanted to film things. I would shoot things for free. I'd be like, yeah, you want to shoot something? Let's do it. I would, you know, bring lights. I, would, I had a little tiny handy cam camcorder that would film onto tapes. Uh, terrible resolution. <laughs> but I would do it for free. And I would show up with a tripod and a camera and some lights, which was like above what some people were doing. And then 
uh, I'd film it and then I'd edit it for them and I'd post it on their YouTube and my YouTube and I sort of started became it became the go-to guy for a couple comedians like um, Jenny Slate and Gabe Liebman I did some stuff with oh, I did some stuff so with cool. Joe Mandy and Noah Garfinkel who all had shows at Rafifi and just wanted yeah. little videos to be made oh. and then through that as uh, through Jenny Slate, I got introduced to this guy, Bobby Tisdale, who was doing a Super Deluxe show, and that was my first directing gig. Oh, okay. uh, But then Super Deluxe cra- like crashed and burned for that first iteration, so not much of it saw the light of day. <laughs> and then from there, I just, I was an editor. I came at it from the post-production side, where I was editing videos for this group called Old English for their Super Deluxe page. Okay. And then I did my own Super Deluxe series, and then... When that sort of trickled, when that when Super Deluxe folded, I was looking for a job, and I got a job as an editor at College Humor, while Pete, Matt McCarthy, and myself were making videos as front page films, and then we pitched them the Batman video, and that sort of, that was the first time I got any sort of budget behind me, was okay. when, I, when I did the Batman shorts with College Humor. Because I feel like so many people would ask you when you were making those videos, were you sure that it was going to go, you know, viral? But, like, are there any early, early videos from you that you feel like should have maybe gone bigger than even those Batman videos? You know, are there any that was like, I thought that was the best, you know? Um, I don't know. I'm going to go to my YouTube site right now <laughs> and see if there are any. I, I think... I've been rewatching a lot of the Batmans oh, just yeah. for fun recently, and they there's something special about them because Pete and I are such fans of Batman that they're while they are parodies of the Batman universe, they're also homages to it. Yeah, and so I don't know. There's something I feel we did a couple sketches that were great, but I feel like the Batman is when we really started clicking into working together like we okay. had done little sketches here and there but we we had a couple successes i did this video called prices which was got a little bit of attention okay one of mine called the infomercial stopper i the infomercial stopper one i felt could have been a lot bigger it's a it's a hyper meta sketch about uh it, it's an infomercial for a product that gets rid of infomercials <laughs> Okay. So, so that's I mean my brand I, I'm uh, my tape my type A personality sort of lends myself to like those like cyclical meta sketches <laughs> that I love doing where it's the you know the product that solves the problem is being advertised on the problem yeah and it just gets into a, a fun maze to play with but I don't know uh, not really I feel the Batman's were when we were really starting to click and and we sort of found a structure and Pete is so funny as a dumb idiot Batman that that it just we've I've never laughed that hard on set so that sort of felt like oh these these are special oh yeah I mean all of them are just so amazing every time thanks um what were some of your favorite sketches done on the Pete Holmes show oh man um there were so many we did so much material uh I'd say the ones that come to mind um Sherlock, we oh, did this parody amazing. of Sherlock where Pete Holmes. I mean, we sort of found our 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 go to is Pete plays an alpha character who's an idiot, 
<laughs> you know, Batman's yeah. an alpha character. What if he was an idiot? What if Sherlock Holmes, who is an alpha character, was an idiot and didn't know how to deduce at all? Yeah. But but it has but the world has all the style and slickness to it. So it, the whole world wants him to succeed, but he's such an idiot that he doesn't. <laughs> um, so Sherlock was one of my favorites, just because directorially it was it was just so fun to recreate that universe and really play with the cool style. Oh yeah. Uh, that was created in the Benedict Cumberbatch version of the show. And then, um, let's see, the X-Men sketches. Oh, yeah, all of spe- those were great. Specifically sure. the Wolverine one with George Basil. Oh, which was so the, funny. Which was, which was the first time I worked with George Basil. Which oh, was, of course. Now we're yeah. In, yeah. And now he's like a go-to. He's like one of the funniest guys. He's on Crashing. He's on, he's on everything, like... That's the uh, video um, with um, I don't know tubes, right? For what's made of a yes. Oh, what are motorcycles? Uh, what are motorcycles made out of? <laughs> Glass and tubes. <laughs> tubes. Yeah, tubes. <laughs> and there's a again that's sort of playing with our role of of like because that that changed the dynamic a little bit. In that world, Pete was an alpha character, but he was correct. Yeah. Uh, but so we had it was really fun to have our the characters that. Professor X was firing be the idiots and I think George Basil did an amazing job of that and then we did this series called Street Fighter Red Tape oh yeah where, where Pete plays a middle manager fi- telling all the street fighters why they aren't allowed in the tournament oh. and Thomas Middleditch did the funniest Vega possible <laughs> he made he just like was such an idiot and he had this hyper effeminate Catalan accent and it was so it was just it was great and he's the type of guy who just made just in his motions and his facial expressions like created jokes out of thin air it was really amazing yeah yeah i mean one of my favorites personally was the drunk james bond oh yeah that, that was we did that for the pilot oh that is easily one of my favorites I, yeah oh i quote that almost daily oh it's glad you like it so yeah funny. that's a that's another little structure we found like one of the one of our first big videos was axagon where okay. pete holmes plays arnold schwarzenegger oh that's so, right yeah, yeah oh that is filmed in the same way yeah yeah sort of a similar style where it's it's an outtake reel it's someone messing up over and over again and it's all in the editing to create uh, a flow and a build to it that's um, right. and so that was a really that that one was super fun and it's a big reason why i think our show got picked up was we we refused to be a normal late night show we were like we we want to do stand-up we want to do uh sketches and we want to do podcast style interviews we don't want to stick to the traditional late night late night format yeah yeah i mean isn't that hexagon one of the few videos that we actually hear your voice in it Oh yeah, I'm I'm the guy directing him every time That's so Schwarzenegger funny. messes up. That is so funny. And, oh, this is so sort of go back to one of your old other questions. Yeah, there was one that I thought would have gotten so much more attention. It's similar in style. Pete plays the men's warehouse guy. Oh, George Zimmer. Yes, that's right. And he keeps messing up. The whole premise of that is that uh, the men's warehouse guy, who always says, "I guarantee it." <laughs> gets handed a letter saying he's legally not allowed to say he guarantees that you're going to love the way you look. And so he has to find all these different expressions to say uh, I'm, you're going to love the way you look. 
without actually saying it. <laughs> and I love that structure where you just yeah. you're seeing a guy like flounder and try to find every way that he can say you're gonna like the way you look That's so uh, funny. W- without saying it. And it had that similar like outtake style, but it didn't hit as hard as the other ones. Oh, Maybe you had to have seen those warehouse commercials, and anyone below the age of thirty has never seen those. <laughs> yeah. And when was your period of working at the Daily Show? Um, I worked there from 2010, 2010 to two thousand twelve. Amazing. And how was that whole? How was that whole time? I mean, that was that was amazing. Yeah. You know, my my dream. You know, I moved to New York with the intention of you know I hounded. Uh, Jen Flans, the now executive producer of The Daily Show, every week to be like, I want to be an intern, I want to be an intern, I want to be an intern. And then I sort of found my own path through going to stand-up shows, meeting stand-ups, working with them, shooting videos, and then it just, like, through a very roundabout method, I I landed a job at The Daily Show as a field producer. Uh, So, in a weird roundabout way, the reason I moved to New York to work on The Daily Show panned out. But long after I had given up on that idea. Amazing. Um, it was crazy. And it was through working with Pete and doing Batman videos, and he was a warm-up. Oh, he was, it's just like, yeah. It's just this crazy thing. Like, I guess a piece of advice is just like, this business is so... You have no idea where your next opportunity is going to come from, so work with everybody you can and do stuff for free because you never know how what will happen in the future. Yeah. Um, so Pete being a backup warm-up for The Daily Show, who just so happened to show Axagon on the Batman videos to The Daily Show producers, who just so happened to share them with everybody, led to them when there was a field producer opening saying, why don't we bring in that Batman guy to interview? Oh, that's, so, a, that's brilliant, yeah. That's what that's what opened the door to it. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was, I couldn't have asked for a better comedy education and a best... You know, it's my first job in television was working with Jon Stewart, and it was just, it was a dream come true. Were you working alongside, at that point, maybe Jenna Friedman? Oh, no, Jenna Friedman took over my spot when I left. Oh, okay, because yeah. she was actually one of the first people on this podcast. One of the first... Oh, great. Yeah. yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah, she, um, yeah, when I left to go work on the Pete Holmes show, that's when she she came in and took my spot with the daily show too then it seems like so much of your starting out was based in this city so how was it when you moved to la what was that kind of you know what was that real change like well the the change came after the beat home show is canceled like i moved to the city moved to la sorry with a job that ate up 14 to 16 hours of every day of my life. So yeah. there wasn't really any any period of awkwardness because I was like, I'm here to do a job and I'm, I'm going to do it. It was that year afterwards that where you're, okay, I'm, out of, I'm in the late night world, I'm in the sketch world, I want to try to get out of the sketch world, that, that's when it started, I started feeling the difference a little bit. It became a little bit harder to just shoot something you know, uh, at the drop of a hat, it became a little harder. You know, everything was more based in meetings and yeah. someone someone allowing you to do it. And I sort of didn't, I sort of lost my ability, especially because the Pete Holmes show was so taxing. Yeah. You know, in hindsight, I look at it and I'm like, that took everything out of me. And it took probably a year 
for me to like truly recover from it. Wow. It's just it was such a grueling pace. You know, we were shooting nine episodes a week. It was that it was, was and I I was overseeing the edits of three shows as well as all the the pre tapes yeah. for all the shows. So it was it was a lot. Um, but during that year, that was that that year after the Pete Holmes show was when I was like, okay, I'm I'm jobless in L.A. Let's try to find that next gig, and they don't come as easily and quickly out here even with a lot of experience it's just there's so many more people out here and if you don't fit the perfect description i was sketch short form guy and i was trying to get into the long form world that it just things didn't come as quickly which is why i did the short film because i was like i can't just be sitting around taking meetings all day i need to you know sort of get back to my roots if you will and and just shoot something of course yeah and have you have you always found it um, very easy to be writing side projects and stuff when you are working on something else? Depends on the scope. Okay. You know, I can do smaller things. Like right now, I'm on crashing and it's great, and I'm dedicating so much of my day to it that I don't have time to really like after a full day of writing in the room, come home and like crank out a screenplay. Yeah. Now, now I sh- should be able to, and I think. I think I will at some point be able to balance it out, but I'm so gung ho in, into crashing right now that I just don't have the mental energy. But, um, but for smaller things and, and just little ideas here and there, I think those are still fun. And almost be, because our show is so grounded and so based in, um, so based in in reality and Pete's life, and it's you know not a balls to the wall comedy. It's more of a it's an emotional story as well. When I get home, I find myself just like writing really silly stuff, yeah, like like genre parody stuff that makes <laughs> fun of genres, like our Batman stuff, where it's just like this is fun. These are just uh, this is just a great device for jokes, and that's sort of like a different a different workout. You know, if crashing is my arms, the like silly genre parody world are my legs, and they you know you tire one out, but the other feels fine. And when you're still working right now on crashing and stuff and having to work every day, I always love to ask this um, on the podcast, is when you're so in the world of TV right now, of just having to live through it every day, of working on it, what is it that's inspiring you right now, you know, to you know, like keep going? Are there things that you're reading and watching? Like, what are they that keep inspiring you? Hmm. It's interesting. You know what's weird? I don't watch as much TV as I should. Okay. <laughs> Someone who works in TV, while I'm on a show, I'm thinking about one story, you know, the story, like, not one story, but every uh, possible story that we could be doing. So a lot of what I do, just to keep, I, I want to sort of turn the story, like, watching TV doesn't come with a with relaxation anymore. Now I'm just analyzing it. Oh, interesting. Okay. So... I'm trying to think, you know, and it's not comedy. I think I've been really, I really love Black Mirror. Oh, I think yeah. Playing in those spaces are really fun. And mm-hmm. I love, I love sci-fi so much that I love just reading um, sci-fi. And I'm, I, I think comic books are probably my inspiration for all this stuff. I'm really into this comic book saga right now by Brian K. Vaughn. Okay. And I feel while it's still... 
a story, it's a different medium and it doesn't move, it moves at my pace versus the pace of time. Yeah. You know, I can choose when to flip the pages. I can choose whether to really pour over some drawings or to really just gun, gun through it. So I feel like, and it is like watching, it's like reading a storyboard. So it's similar in medium. It's right in between watching TV and reading books. It's So it's a nice brain space to be in. That's so interesting. I've never thought of it like that. And, yeah. and, and as a director, I think all you can, reading comic books is like the best research you can do because you're just reading storyboards all day. That is so, that is so good. I've never thought of that. And um, before I let you go, uh, I remember I tweeted at you when you first released the short film last year. Uh, I think I tweeted that I was waiting for a feature length from you in a similar ilk. Is there any chance in the near future that you have anything on the uh, uh, on the I guess horizon of maybe a of maybe a low budget feature? Huh. That is a serious undertaking. A feature, mm-hmm. you know, shooting a thirty-page short film, yeah, for no money, is hard. I can't imagine what a feature is like. So, you know, I do have ideas for features. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm in talks of developing. See around into a longer thing. That'd be amazing. I, you know, see around. You know, in my dream of dreams, you know, my lead characters in Times Square, and literally everyone in Times Square is this is the X. Um, oh wow! Which would be, which is sort of the image I started with, and then I was like, okay, let me reverse engineer that idea into more attainable yeah. scenes. Like the cafe scene was the best I could do with that. Yeah. Um. So I would love to do something like that. I just feel uh, no. Nah, I I would love to do a feature, and I'm like reading features right now to potentially direct them. Oh, cool. Um, but I'm you know, and I have a feature. I am writing very slowly in the background that is i think going to be my big one but that it's going to require a little bit of money to do i don't know i'm just thinking a little bit bigger right now and unfortunately i need to get people behind me to make make those things but i think you know i'm going to wait for that period of of uh despair and depression and antsiness (laughs) to really gun out another film that i want to make i really feel it's those times where you give yourself the mental space to really go for a project that you can do your best work. I feel yeah. if I did, if I was really gunning for a feature in the background, it's, I wouldn't be giving it my best. Amazing. And well, how about you? Why are you, I have to ask you now. <laughs> no. no. No one knows who I am. <laughs> how the hell, how'd you find me? What's your deal? <laughs> no, I've just been a massive fan of everything that you've done. I mean, even from the short film. Like, I mean, I'm sorry for ending on the probably most LA question on what are you working on next but it's just because the short film is so brilliant and I will make sure they put it to anyone listening in the uh, in the description a link because I couldn't I couldn't place that enough thanks thanks man I appreciate it